All right, church, we come now in our worship of God together this morning to the preaching of his word. And I want to invite you to turn, if you have your Bibles today, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And as you get there in the scriptures this morning, I want us to pause again and we are going to, as the church, we're going to call on the name of the Lord together this morning. We're going to ask for God's help as we study God's word. Let's do that now. Father, we come to you today. And God, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit during this time. Lord, we pray that you would make us hungry for your word this morning and eager to hear it, Lord. And God, we ask that you would enlighten our understanding, that you would teach us your word today. And most of all, Lord, that you would give us a heart to be doers of your word, to act upon your word, to acknowledge and manifest that you are our king, you are the king of this church. And so we pray, Lord, that your word would run to and fro in your church this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we're going to cover two verses together this morning. And I'll explain that in just a few minutes. But first thing I want us to do together is to read the word of God. We are going to cover 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 together this morning. Let's hear the word of the Lord as the church. This is the word of God. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. This is God's word to Grace Community Church this morning. Now there's a picture, there's an illustration that I want to use in the Old Testament to try to put this of where we're headed in a frame together this morning. There's a story in the Old Testament where King David is leading his troops into battle and he desires water from the well of this besieged city. And as he expresses that desire, There are a few of his mighty men that hear the king express that desire and they break through the enemy lines just to get their king a drop of water from the well that he desired to drink from at great cost of their life. And I want to use that illustration this morning that that's that's a picture of what it means to love God. That when God in his word, when he expresses any light on any way things should be done in his church those who love God should act upon it of this is the desires of my king let's let's move and obey these commandments of our king that's true with the big things in scripture like the greatest commandments to love God and to love your neighbor 
And it's also true in the smaller commandments of Scripture. Anything that our God reveals to us, those who love Christ, they desire to to obey it, to order their lives around the commandments of God. And that's a little bit of where we're headed together this morning. We have some things coming together at GCC that are going to make our time in the Word look a little bit different today. You may have noticed this. We don't do this often. We preach through books of the Bible. We start this week where we left off next week, and we repeat uh, the same process over and over. But one of the things, especially if you're a member here, that I hope you have noticed um, is that elders have been an important topic in our church recently, okay? Uh, I'll mention just a a few reasons why. Um, It's always been on our radar because it's in the Word of God, but over the last two years, especially in our elder meetings, the there's been a lot of talk and attention around adding to the number of elders at GCC. This has been a prominent thing that we've been discussing and praying about. And then just a few weeks ago, uh, you may have noticed this, uh, I, I pray that you noticed this, praise God, we added a fourth elder to this church. Our brother Nick Stafford was commissioned as a pastor at GCC just a few weeks ago. And then, Lord willing, we're also in current discussions and meetings about Uh, working to add even more pastors to GCC in the near future. And so elders is kind of in the water right now. It's an important topic around our church, and rightly so. And one of the things that I want us to think through is as we build out the number of pastors at GCC, it is important that this group of pastors functions well and biblically and fruitfully together. And so this is something that we collectively, as the elders, felt like our church needed to be instructed on. Okay, And so that's why we're here, that's why we're doing what we're doing this morning. And what I mean is this, at GCC, we have long taught and believed in the plurality principle of elders. Okay, uh, Meaning that by God's design, the church is to be led by a plurality of qualified men. Now in the New Testament, these leaders are identified by at least three words. They're called pastors in some verses. They're called elders in some verses. They're called overseers in some verses. But those words just describe the same leaders of the church. A pastor is an elder, is an overseer. And one of the things we see in the New Testament is we actually have example and command that there are to be a plurality of these pastors in every church. You can jot these down, but this is the clearest place to see this, is in Acts 14, verse 23. That's the first missionary journey of what the Apostle Paul and Barnabas did, and they they appointed elders in every church that they planted. And then you see it by way of commandment in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul tells Titus to appoint elders in every town of Crete, okay, by way of commandment. Um, uh, uh, Titus is to appoint elders, plural, in every church, singular. So every church is to strive for a plurality of pastors. We're referring to this as the plurality principle in the Word of God. 
Now, the plurality principle doesn't necessarily mean that a church with only one pastor is in sin, that they're sinning by only having one pastor, but it definitely means that it needs attention. The way that Titus 1 describes this situation of a church without a proper eldership is he says you need to put in order what is lacking. There's something lacking in this church that needs to be set in order. And so a proper eldership is part of the good order of the church of Jesus Christ. And so plurality is the pattern, okay? Singular, singular leaders are not the pattern in the New Testament. The pattern is plurality. And by way of plurality, when we say, GCC, we believe in a plurality of pastors, we mean a real plurality, okay? Not uh, on paper plurality, but a real plurality. Let me mention just a couple of things we don't mean by that, okay? We don't mean a senior pastor with a board of elders that rubber stamps everything that he's doing, and then uh, the, the takeaway of the situation is, see, we have elders, okay? That's not real plurality. That's pretend plurality, Okay? And by real plurality, we also don't mean that some pastors in the church are in a hierarchy over other pastors in the church. And you see this distinction sometimes with this is the senior pastor and this is the assistant pastor. Okay? As though some pastors were in a hierarchy under subordinate to other pastors in the church. We don't think that's real, we think that undermines real plurality in the church of Jesus Christ. One more thing, we also don't mean by real plurality one dominating personality in the church surrounded by a bunch of wimps that are called elders but who don't have the courage to rebuke that domineering leader. And many of you saw an example of this in the podcast series The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill where you have this domineering leader and Mark Driscoll, and this church has elders, but those elders don't have the courage to rebuke and remove this man from office. And so you, sometimes you have an example of, yeah, there's plurality, but it is a real plurality. Okay? We're striving for a real plurality at GCC, a functional plurality with brothers leading the church together. In humility and unity, they lead the church of Jesus Christ together. And one of the foundation stones of real plurality is this. It means each elder shares equally in the authority and the responsibility of the office. Okay, There's no hierarchy here. It's a real plurality of brothers leading the church together. Now, some of this feels like preaching to the choir a little bit because this is a high value at this church. Like, we have always had shared leadership from the very beginning of GCC. We prize it. We preach it. You love it. There's so many comments that we've heard over the years of you being benefited and loving the plurality of pastors caring for your soul at this church. And so this is something... Uh, that we feel like the church is strong in. We feel like GCC is strong in our understanding and treasuring of this doctrine of plurality. However, though we've spent a lot of time talking about how elders are the same around GCC, 
we have not spent much time defining how elders are different around GCC. In other words, we're aware of unbiblical distinctions that have been made between elders, okay? But we're less aware of any biblical distinctions that should be made between elders. And so this is the area that we feel like our church needs to grow in our understanding. And 1 Timothy 5 is the clearest place in the Bible that you see these biblical distinctions among equals. Okay, And so that's what we're going to talk about together this morning. The biblical distinction among equal brother pastors. Now providentially, in our study of Deuteronomy... We landed, right now, we are in the middle of chapter 25, okay? And in, in that chapter, chapter 25, is the exact chapter that Paul grounds his teaching in these two verses. He grounds this principle that he's given us about elders in Deuteronomy 25, specifically verse 4. He says this, you shall not muzzle an ox... When it treads out the grain. Paul refers to that verse in Deuteronomy twice in the New Testament. Once in 1 Timothy 5, again in 1 Corinthians 9. Both of those passages referring to, he's applying to those in full-time ministry. And so Paul sees a principle in the book of Deuteronomy, specifically chapter 25, specifically verse 4. That applies to full-time ministers in the church of Jesus Christ. And so it seemed fitting to us as the elders of GCC seeing this general need and then coming to this particular portion of Scripture. It seemed fitting to us to spend some time unpacking this teaching about elder distinctions. And so that's what we're about to do, Lord willing, together this morning. Before we unpack verses 17 and 18, I want to remind us of a general principle in the New Testament regarding elders. And, and we need to, we need to uh, have this in mind because Paul is actually building on this general principle when we get to verse 17. And the general principle is this. The Bible actually gives us commands regarding our attitudes toward all of our pastors, okay? It actually tells us how we're supposed to feel about them and, and the actions that we are supposed to take towards them. And one of the clearest places you can see this, not the only place, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Paul says this about the elders of the church. He says, We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so just using that verse, who are the pastors? What do they do? Well, they are the ones who labor among the flock. They are the ones who are over the flock of God. And they are the ones who admonish the people of God. And what do the people of God do to such men, such qualified men? Well, Paul commands that we are to honor, respect, and highly esteem 
the elders of the church, the pastors that Jesus Christ has given to the church. And we are to respect, honor, and highly esteem all of them. Okay? Now, by all of them, I don't mean disqualified elders. Okay? I mean every qualified pastor is supposed to be highly esteemed by the people of God. That's a general principle in the New Testament. Now, that's the principle that Paul builds off of in verse 17 in our passage. Among this group of honored men, all the elders in the church at Ephesus, Paul draws out two subcategories among that whole group. Okay, And we're going to walk through that together. The first category is, is identified with the phrase, let the elders who rule well. Let the elders who rule well. With this phrase, the Apostle Paul is recognizing a smaller group of elders within a larger group of the elders at Ephesus. And the word rule here describes one who stands in leadership. It's a leadership verb. Okay, It's not just rule like you're telling people what to do. It's everything that's involved with being a leader in the church. It's a leadership verb. It's the same verb that's translated as lead in Romans 12, verse 8, where the same writer, the Apostle Paul, writes these words. Let those who lead, lead with zeal. It's the same verb that, that's translated as manage in the elder qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, where Paul writes about these qualifications. He writes this, these words, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he manage the household of God? How will he care for God's church? And so that verb actually gives us a lot of light in what elders do. What do elders do? Okay. Uh, some of you might think, well, they play golf all week and then they preach on Sunday. Okay? That's what elders do. That's not what elders do. Okay? Um, that's not what qualified elders do. What do they do? One of the ways that Paul answers this question of what elders do is with this verb, rule or lead. That's what they do. They rule and lead the household of God. They manage God's church. They manage God's Household, And this word describes a broad category of activity. It involves preaching the word, but it's broader than preaching the word. It includes things like administration and governing. It includes things like soul care and counseling. It includes things like rebuking and disciplining as needed. Okay? Really, the whole scope of pastoral ministry is described by this word lead or rule. They rule in the household of God. Now, in the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, Paul requires this gift of leadership to a certain degree in every elder of the church. Okay? And if they don't have it, Paul says if they can't lead their own family, they can't lead in the church. And so this gift of leadership is proven by a man's ability to lead his own family. Okay? So what do elders do? They lead, they rule, they manage the church of Jesus Christ. It's people, it's ministries, and all of its affairs. They lead the people of God. Yet, 
Paul recognizes some of the elders are performing these duties well. That's what he says in verse 17. Let the elders who rule well, Paul says. In other words, there are some in this church that are leading and ruling in an exceptional way. Okay? Now, here's the battle. We've got to fight here. Okay? What is Paul not saying? By noting that some are doing their duties exceptionally well or in an outstanding way, he is not indicting the other elders for doing their duties bad or in a deficient way. In other words, when he's marking out an exceptional few in the church at Ephesus, he's not throwing shade on the other pastors in the church. These, these words in no way describe a deficiency in the other elders at Ephesus. So when he says, let the elders who rule well, he is noting those who are serving in an outstanding or distinct way in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, so this is really important. The contrast he's making here is not between faithful elders and unfaithful elders. The contrast is between the faithful service of the whole group, all the elders, they're faithful, they're honored, and outstanding service of a smaller group of those elders. Paul says they are to be double honored, and we'll talk about what he means by that in just a moment. So in recognizing the smaller group, Paul is not... Um, indicting any of the other elders in the church, he is simply recognizing differing degrees of giftedness and effectiveness among the elders of the church. Church, one way to understand the plurality principle wrong is to flatten the eldership in such a way as to remove any and all distinctions among pastors okay it's one way to get the plurality principle wrong in other words it is wrong for us that as we add pastors to this church to assume that all of our pastors are equally gifted in the exact same ways in all the same areas there is a rich diversity in the church of Jesus Christ both in the distribution of the gifts a pastoral leadership, and the strength of those gifts. There's diversity within the equality of the eldership. And one of the ways that this passage helps us is it shows us that we are to expect this type of diversity within a body of equals, within a body of brother pastors in the church. I'll give you some examples here. The preaching gift will not be equally distributed, nor will the counseling abilities, nor will the gifts of faith and prayer and evangelism and soul care and government and discerning. There's going to be a rich variety in the church of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the things that we should acknowledge and expect in the church that those gifts are not going to be concentrated in one individual. They're going to be spread broadly across the pastors of the church. So let's summarize where we are so far. Paul says that all the elders are to do the work of leadership. They're leaders, managers, rulers in the household of God. Yet, 
some will excel in this leadership function, he says some will rule well. Some will rule in an outstanding or distinct or notable way. About this subgroup of those who rule well, in verse 17, those who lead especially well, Paul says the following. They are to be considered worthy of double honor, Paul says. Now, there are some who have argued that Paul is not advocating for pastoral pay in these verses, but rather he's advocating for a mere attitude that you doubly esteem them. And it is true that Paul is calling us and and commanding our affections or our attitude here with the word double honor. That's true. But it is also true that he expects this attitude of double honor to, to lead to financial compensation for these leaders. And let me mention two reasons why from this text. Number one is the context in 1 Timothy 5. This word honor in this letter already we have been shown, if we're reading 1 Timothy 5, that word honor already has financial uh, connotations in this letter. So if you back up to 1 Timothy 5 verse 3, you'll see that same verse verb used, honor widows who are truly widows. If you read through that passage, it becomes really clear that honoring widows includes financially caring for them. And so this verb already has financial implications in the pastoral epistles. That's one thing. The context leads us that, that, that pay is in view here. And then the second is explicit. Okay? You have these two grounding clauses in verse 18. So he gives a principle in verse 17. And then in verse 18 he says, For the scripture says... And then he quotes the Bible twice. Once from Deuteronomy 25, once from Luke 10, and both of those citations have financial uh, aspects to them. Uh, uh, The ox not being muzzled, and then he explicitly says the laborer being worthy of wages. And so no doubt, an attitude... Is, is called for here, but this attitude is to lead to financial compensation for such leaders in the church. And so the attitude of the church toward the elders who lead the church in an exceptional way is supposed to be double honor. And what that would look like is set apart these gifted men for full-time ministry. He gives us two illustrations in verse 18 to describe this subcategory of these elders who rule well. In verse 18, he compares them to a hardworking oxen that the church ought not to muddle, to, to muzzle, excuse me. Hardworking oxen treading out the grain that shouldn't be muzzled while they're doing that work. The, the illustration there is agricultural, that the oxen is treading out the grain. And if he reaches over and grabs a bite of the grain, you ought not to muzzle him. He ought to share in that crop as he's treading out the grain. And then the second illustration, he he quotes the, the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10. And he refers to these exceptional leaders in the church as laborers who are worthy of their wages. Okay, So biblical eldership, according to Paul, is as follows. All elders 
are to receive honor. Some elders are to receive double honor, including financial compensation from the church. Okay? Those distinctions flow right out of the biblical text. They're not man-made. Okay? That's what we are to expect in the church of Jesus Christ. Some exceptionally gifted elders in a very unique financial situation can waive this right to compensation. Okay? Um, but we should think about that as awesome but really rare. Okay? I'll give you one example of this. There's a story of a, um, a pastor named W.A. Criswell. He was the pastor of First Baptist Dallas from the mid-40s to the late 80s. Very influential leader in the Southern Baptist Convention for many decades. Early in his ministry, there was a wealthy man in his congregation who encouraged him to take some money out of every one of his paycheck. And he said, you take some of what we pay you every month and you give it to me. And I will invest your money where I invest my money. He was, a, he was a wealthy oil and gas man. And he said, when it comes time to retire, you'll never have to worry about if you have enough money for your family. And so Chriswell did that. Most pastors probably would. If you got billionaire oil and gas men in your church that says, let me invest some money for you, you probably should <laughs> take, take them up on that. And he did. Okay, And at the end of his ministry... Um, W.A. Criswell had amassed so much wealth from these investments that he wrote a check back to First Baptist Dallas that covered his entire salary for 45 years. He paid him back everything that the church ever paid him. Now, here's the thing. I don't know a pastor that loves Christ and loves the church that wouldn't love to do that. Okay? In other words, that's the desire. That man, I want to do this free of charge. That's the desire. Okay? And we should think about these situations as awesome. That's awesome. Okay? But it's also not normal. Okay? It's exceedingly rare. It's not the norm in the church. What is the norm? What is normative? Normative is churches paying exceptionally gifted elders to labor full-time in ministry. Okay, that is the norm, and the exceptions are awesome, but they are rare. Paul makes one final distinction in this passage. He identifies a second subgroup among the elders with the word especially. Okay? So we have one subgroup. These are the, the elders who rule well. They lead well. They lead in a notable, outstanding way. And then this word especially is the word, the Greek word malista. And for you uh, grammar folks, this is an adverbial superlative in the word of God. And what that means is that it elevates the word that it modifies. Okay? And for these reasons, it should always be translated as above all or especially. Okay? This is what the word means. And with the use of that word, Paul is actually distinguishing another subgroup within the first subgroup. Okay? So you have all the elders, the faithful elders of the church, and they're worthy of honor. You have a smaller subgroup in the church that are leading in this exceptional way. And Paul says they're worthy of double honor. And within that, that subgroup, there's, a, there's another subgroup that he says labor 
and especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. This is a quote from a Baptist theologian named Sam Waldron. He's been one of the voices that have helped us as elders think through the structure that we want to go after at GCC. And here's what he says about 1 Timothy 5.17. He says, Thus we may distinguish in 1 Timothy 5.17 three concentric circles. The outer ring encompasses all the elders. The second ring encompasses all the elders who rule well. And the innermost ring encompasses all the elders who rule well and who work hard at preaching and teaching. And so there we have it. All the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor, but above all, or especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It's literally they labor in word or in doctrine, or literally their vocation is word and doctrine. So here Paul is identifying those whose full-time vocation is mainly studying the Word of God and preaching the text week in, week out. They mainly, that's not everything they do, but they mainly, they labor in preaching and teaching. Okay? The identification of such a group in the church at Ephesus shows us a normative pattern for the preaching ministry of the church. It's normal, okay? It's normal. Within a group of pastors, we are to expect some within that group to emerge with stronger gifts in certain areas. This is good. This is normative. And this is who the church is set apart to labor in those areas. This is good. This is normative. So I want you to think, um, 1 Timothy 5.17 pushes back a little bit on a view of plurality that flattens everything. Okay? So I want you to think about this question for just a moment. What's wrong with the idea that if you have 10 elders in a church, that they just rotate through all the duties? You know, they preach one in every 10 weeks. They take one in every 10 counseling uh, uh, sessions. They, they handle one in every 10 church discipline sessions. They plan and administrate one in every 10 of the ministry. They just rotate through everything. What's wrong with that view of uh, the, the way that the elders function? And I'll mention two things. Number one, it assumes that the preaching gifts and other pastoral gifts are equally distributed among all ten of those pastors, and this is almost never the case. That's the first error. The second error is it assumes that everybody has the same amount of time to devote to the work, that everybody is set apart full-time for the ministry, which is almost, again, never the case. Okay. So what we have here is the Apostle Paul, he lays down a better path, a better way, he tells us as the church to financially set apart the pastors who have distinguished themselves, okay? And especially those with a strong gift of preaching. Paul says, let them labor in it. Set them apart to labor in it. Don't let them be muzzled in this work. Now, this does not mean that other elders don't teach and preach. They, they have the gift of teaching. If they don't, they're disqualified from the office. You remember that, right? 1 Timothy chapter 
3, verse 2, one of the qualifications is that every elder must be able to teach the Word of God. Okay? So it doesn't mean that other elders don't teach. And if an elder is especially gifted at counseling, it doesn't mean that other elders don't counsel. Okay? This is describing what the, the men of God are mainly giving themselves to in the church. And so we are to expect, I would argue, we are to expect some of the elders to carry more of the teaching load of the church, while other, other elders give themselves primarily to other aspects of pastoral ministry. I would argue that these types of distinctions flow out of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. So let's back up for a minute and, and, and let's just re- recap. What light do we have about biblical polity, biblical church government from this text? Think, of, think, of, think about how unique this is. So we have a lot of plurality text in the Bible, you know, and, and Acts 14 and, and Titus chapter 1 are, are the clearest ones. Okay? And they tell us every church is supposed to have plurality of pastors. This is what we're striving for. But those plurality texts, they don't tell us a lot of things. For example, they don't tell us how responsibility was delegated out among the elders. They don't tell us that. Okay? They don't tell us how differing gifts were accommodated among the elders. They don't tell us that. Okay? They don't tell us how differing strengths of gifts were handled among the elders. They don't tell us that. But the unique thing about 1 Timothy 5.17 is it gives us light in how we're to live out some of these distinctions among brother pastors, among co-equals. And so, by summary, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 shows us that it is normative for a church to have a plurality of elders, yet not all the elders function in exactly the same way. That's normative. That's what we should pray for. That's what we should move towards, plan towards at GCC. Not cookie cutter, everybody does the same, but all the men of God functioning according to their gifting. That's normative. It is also normative that some of the elders show an exceptional degree of giftedness or effectiveness, and it is normative that these elders be compensated for their labor. These things are biblical. Let me mention a few guardrails here, okay? We have these biblical distinctions among equals, and I want you to notice that these distinctions that are made in 1 Timothy 5.17, they are functional distinctions. They are not hierarchical distinctions, okay? This is where so much of this goes wrong in the modern-day church, okay? There is no distinction here between superiors and subordinates, okay? You don't have any light in this text that one pastor works under or for another pastor. And so one of the guardrails for these distinctions is they are always functional, gift-based distinctions and never hierarchical. These functional, gift-based distinctions allow each elder to serve in a way that they are gifted to serve and the church to receive maximal edification. This type of functional diversity within a real plurality of equals, this is what we want to strive for at Grace Community Church.
And yet, even laying out this groundwork, there's not a model of church government that is bulletproof cookie cutter for every single local church. So we have some boundaries here. We have some things we're to expect here. But we are to expect variety in how these distinctions are lived out church to church. Why? Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are different in church to church and elder board to elder board. In other words, how many belong in this double honor category? How many elders are to be paid for their labor? And the answer is it depends on the local circumstance. It will vary from church to church based off the giftings of the Spirit in that church. How many brothers will carry the main teaching load of the church? And the answer is, you know, how many are going to labor in preaching and teaching? It depends, okay? It depends. It's going to vary from church to church. It's based off the distribution of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in that particular church. And so we want you to know this is something that we're talking about a lot, okay? We are striving to get these distinctions clearer at Grace Community Church. And this is something that growing as a church and growing the number of elders at the church has made more important. That, that it is really important as we build out the number of pastors that we're being really clear what we're calling these brother pastors into, the, the duties that they're responsible for, the ways that they are serving GCC. And so we want to be able to more clearly define these duties so that you know how each pastor is mainly serving at Grace Community Church. And we want to get these distinctions right so one of the things that we're currently working on is clearer divisions of labor among the pastors at Grace Community Church. And we want those divisions based off the principles in 1 Timothy 5.17. That's what we're going after. Okay? We want you to know that we're working on this as an elder body, and we want you to pray for us. Okay? We want you to ask God to help us as we deliberate about these things, as we give thought not only to right now at Grace Community Church, but in 10 years or 20 years, Lord willing, we might have 15, 20 pastors at this church. How are we going to live it out? How are we going to function together? Okay? Please pray for us. Okay? Please know that these type of distinctions will be determined collectively by the elders of this church. Nobody's showing up uh, to work next week saying, here's what you do, here's what you do, here's what you do. We are deciding these things together, okay? We will decide these things as a group of equals. And please also know that this type of discussion and planning requires great humility from brother pastors. And so pray for us in that as we evaluate gifting as we evaluate our elder structure going forward please pray for us pray that God would bless our efforts to better align our church with biblical polity always reforming this church of any light we have from holy scripture and that's our desire if God gives us any peak of light we want to move on it we want to order this church according to the wisdom of God. Pray that God would bless those efforts. Pray that God would give us light. Pray that God would give us wisdom. Pray that God would provide more pastors for this church. 
Pray that some of those future pastors would be sent out from GCC as missionaries of this church. Pray that God would make our pastors humble, all of our pastors fruitful at GCC. Pray that God would give Grace Community Church generations of faithful pastors long after we're gone. That these principles would carry forward. Now there's more to be said about this passage. We just focused on one little thing in this text. Okay? This is only one part of a paragraph that gives the congregation all kind of instructions about how they should view and act towards their elders. I'll mention just a few. Paul goes on to discuss protecting elders, not receiving uh, uh, unjustified accusations against elders. Paul goes on to, 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 to make uh, 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 plans to rebuke elders who sin publicly to deal with sinning elders in the church. And he also gives us light on ordaining elders, commissioning new pastors to this work, not to be doing this hastily, not to be in a hurry to add pastors to the church of Jesus Christ. So there's much light here in this text, but we are out of time this morning. And so we're going to close in prayer, and we're going to pray that God would make this word fruitful to this local church. Let's pray that together now. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word this morning. And God, we pray that you would give us your help, grace to help in time of need. Lord, we pray that you would be the one to lead this church. We ask that you would rule over us with every detail of your word, Lord, and give us a heart to obey you. God, we express, even, even in this moment, that we do not trust in our church government. We trust in you, Lord. You are the one who will build this church. You are the one who will sanctify this church. You are the one who will make this church fruitful. Lord, we trust in you. You are the head of the church, Lord Jesus.